Hi, and welcome to Women CEO in Reflection, a podcast dedicated to personal growth and mental health discussions with women CEOs across the globe. It's here where inspired women get candid about what drives them to succeed and the personal challenges they've encountered on their path to success. So if you're a woman on a mission, this is the podcast you don't want to miss. So sit back, relax, and let's get candid. Hi, welcome to Women CEO in Reflection. I'm your host, Marisa Jones. Today's guest is Alana Proust. She's the founder and CEO of Recast City, a nationally recognized consulting firm working with city, community, and business leaders across the U.S. to revitalize cities by integrating space from small-scale manufacturers. Alana is passionate about her work turning downtowns into vibrant economies so these cities become great places to live, work, and visit. Her book, Recast Your City, How to Save Your Downtown and Small-Scale Manufacturing, is a must-read for people and organizations responsible for downtown reinvestment. A visionary in community development, Alana Proust is a highly sought speaker at prestigious events, including the 2023 National Main Street Conference, Northeast Maker Summit, and TEDx. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me with you today. Um, so tell me a little bit about, uh, you know, how, what was your journey to kind of start Recast City? What was your drive and passion behind that? So my passion has always been about great places. I have this sort of core belief that everybody deserves to live in a great place. And we know historically we have not invested in places equally. We've not invested in people equally. And I grew up in the DC area in the 80s. And it's a really, it was a really clear message that certain places um, were getting investment and some places weren't. And so the, the core of my belief in my work has always been Everybody should get to live in a great place, however they define it, not based on my definition or your definition, but based on their own community de- definition. And I worked in the field for a long time in community development, policy change, research. I was the numbers and maps kid at the beginning. Uh, that's how I broke into the field. And over the years, I realized we kept talking about great places and we kept talking about jobs, housing balance, and we never talked about the people and we never talked about um, if what kinds of jobs and what kinds of businesses made the biggest difference for a neighborhood to not only be a great place, but to be economically resilient, to include the people who live in that neighborhood now, um, and to actually help them build wealth as a neighborhood changed. And so I went through this sort of exploratory stage and all the way back in 2013 and was trying to figure out what kinds of businesses made the biggest difference. And I hosted a series of events in DC called In the City. And I looked at tech and I looked at food businesses and I looked at transportation startups that were just the rage at the time. Uh, And then I did production in the city. And it was like this explosion in my brain that there were all these amazing people who were making products. They had no support. They had no space to do the work. And I had found real estate developers who were really excited about this sector when I was doing my research for the event. And it was this sort of explosive aha moment for me. And in 2014, I launched Recast City to focus on small-scale manufacturing businesses and how they contribute to downtowns and neighborhood main streets, but also as a way for us to focus on community wealth building, especially for historically excluded and underserved populations. So I have a vision in my head, like growing up just outside New York City, and I would go to the downtown Uh, more like the Soho and Greenwich Village areas where you had a lot of small manufacturing businesses Mm -hmm. down there. 
Um, what types of companies are in those um, those spaces, those retail spaces? Absolutely. So I, I have a shorthand that I use. It's hot sauce, handbags, and hardware, right? It's everything, <laughs> from, everything from the artisans in your holiday market to the 50-person brewery to the um, I just spoke to somebody today who in their community, they have the folks doing 3D hip printing, right? That are custom to fit to a person's body at this point. All of that is small scale manufacturing. It's anybody who's creating a tangible product that you can replicate or package. And the key to them is that they're small so they can fit in storefronts. They can fit in our neighborhoods. Um, they can they desperately want to be a part of our community, whether or not they're consumer facing or supply chain, you know, or wholesale fa facing. And it's just a very different era or way to think about these businesses, because over the last 40, 50 years, people have only thought about manufacturing. Oh, you need 300,000 square feet, you know, a million right. square feet. That's just not what's going on today. Yeah, a lot, lot more smaller companies, entrepreneur, uh, but they're still building great products. Yes, absolutely. And they're having incredible competitive edge because of fast ship time and custom work and quality of work and being able to have a personal relationship with the person making your product. So there's really exciting things going on in the field. So what is your ideal um, location as far as where they're at from a growth perspective that you kind of step in and take them to the next level? So we work with the community leaders to make sure that the environment around these entrepreneurs is in fact as supportive as it can be. So that the community knows their business owners. We actually help them find the small scale manufacturers because most places have never paid attention to this business sector. Um, but then we look at things like real estate spaces, business development support, financing, PR and marketing, um, and what specifically within those very big buckets do these businesses really need in their community? And is it different depending on you know, race, ethnicity, age, immigrant status, all these other factors that we often don't look at when we're looking at business development support, but are so essential to how people trust a system around them, engage with people around them, um, and who benefits from the investments. Because, and you, you, you started talking about a little bit, when, when I first think of, and a lot of people, when you first think about like, um, you know, rebuilding cities or re, re, uh, reinvesting in your in your downtown areas, the first thing people start thinking about is gentrification, right? And that has some good things to it, and that has a lot of bad things to it. So how do you how do you um, how do you maybe communicate that to the communities that that's you know the benefits of what they're doing, and it's not what the stigma behind gentrification is. Well, I think it depends on who's benefiting from the investment, right? I mean, the problem with the problem that with gentrification is the displacement that often comes with right. it. So we've seen a lot of commercial displacement in a lot of communities, let alone residential uh, housing displacement. And so I've actually started working with an amazing set of communities um, that are saying, well, how do we get investment without displacement? How do we how do we get investment that benefits the people who are here now? in housing, in business development, in commercial space? And I think that's the essential question to ask. Over the last many decades, we've always said just investment, throw investment in, throw whatever kind of development, put it in there, right? Because it's going to benefit somebody. And the reality is, is exactly what you described. It displaces a lot of people. And there are just some amazing people in the field I've met really over the last few years in particular who 
understand the finance and they understand the real estate and they're from the community and they work with the community and they're really working from an advocacy and organizing standpoint, but also from a real estate and finance perspective all at once. I mean, it's sort of amazing sets of skills and these people I've met to make sure that the investment that's coming in is benefiting the people who are there now. The simplest way that I think about it is who gets the storefronts, right? It's a question we've never really asked, but it is the the culture of the community is in its storefronts. And so if we're not thinking about that super proactively, then we're just setting up for a success that only benefits some people and probably not the people who live there now. Yeah, I I have a vision of, you know, when I travel overseas or anywhere, I love to go to the local communities. I love to go to the local restaurants. I hate the tourist traps, you know, like, you know, all the, you know, like if you go to like the Bahamas, there's, there's the ports, right? That's not the reality of how those people live, you know? And so, so you're kind of integrating with them. And that's changed probably quite a bit since the pandemic, right? Because the dynamics of, you know, there's a lot more empty spaces that need to be filled. Uh, a lot of businesses shut down and now, but the, the new ones are starting to kind of reignite. Um, but but there's still a lot of people who are out of work, right? So you, you're probably having to do a lot of balancing with that. During the pandemic, it was, we were running, a, we were running a whole bunch of projects at the beginning of the pandemic that all shut down. When everything came back a few months later, one of the things that we found in our projects was that some people had lost their job, but some people had finally said enough is enough, right? And this is what we saw in the great resignation articles is that people had been putting up with job conditions, how they were treated in the office, all of these different things. And they sort of said like, why am I doing this? Which I find I hope somebody writes an amazing, many amazing theses about this in their like psychology PhD at some point. But I met all of these people who had a, sort of what we call a side hustle, right? They made a thing for their friends all the time. And during this time that we were all stuck at home, they really invested in their skills and their marketing and their positioning. And we saw just a ton of businesses take off. And it was inspiring. I mean, really, like the most amazing conversations with people who, you know, had all of these different businesses that they were launching at the same time, that they were marketing. Um, people wanted to really change their personal lifestyle, the quality of their life. Um, they wanted to be able to spend more time with family and not commute. And they found ways of doing that by working with in small scale manufacturing. Um you know, and the question we always pose to folks now when we work with community leaders, economic development teams, um, chambers of commerce, uh, main street organizations is, have you found the home-based businesses? Because these are your future storefront users because there's right. so many people who are making products at home and are will be ready with the right kind of support. So the, people started investing in themselves and believing yes. in themselves that they can do it, that they didn't need what you were talking about, those giant $300,000 warehouses to do the manufacturing. They started to believe that they can do it, you know, on a smaller scale and you help them do that. Right. And we, we work with communities that are providing the support. We're more or less saying, hey, like, let's let's scratch the surface where you're where you don't even know that this economic engine is operating let's open up the box, right? And expose to you this amazing magic that's going on in your community. 
Yes. And I, you know, I become the local cheerleader for this whenever I, I'm with one of these communities. But one of the things we encourage our, our community leaders to do is go visit these producers in their production space, if they lease a space, and see what they're making. And when community leaders come back from doing those interviews, their eyes are just sort of wide open, how exciting it is for everybody, right? This is it's sort of this universal experience. You see people making something and it's magic. And so, you know, part of my goal is to get everybody excited about the, the potential of this business sector, but then to really think about who's getting the opportunity, where is it happening, what are we doing with our storefronts, and the nitty gritty of action, right? What, what actions do we need to take as a community to really make a difference for people? Wow. It's really exciting. I'd love that. So, so let me ask you, so you're coming up, it sounds like 10 years for your business. Almost. How has it, how has running this company changed you? Oh, completely. I'm pretty sure I'm a totally different person. Um, I'll give you an example because I don't really know how to answer that question. When I first started my business, people said, oh, you have to send out emails. And I would sit down and I would write an email and I would just be panicked. The vulnerability that I would feel writing something and maybe a thousand people that I had, you know, collected from all my different emails professionally that I threw into an email list when I started. I told them all I was doing it to them and they were, they came along for the ride. And the vulnerability I felt writing anything to these people, oh my God, what are they going to think? What am I going to say? Am I doing it right? Am I doing it wrong? I, I mean, it, it gave me stomach aches. And now it's like, oh, I need, I haven't spoken to my list for a while. Wait, let me just write something to them. And it's all in my voice. It's all in my personality. Um, I am, I'm also 10 years, almost 10 years older, which I think helps, but like, I'm just, I'm comfortable in my skin that is recast city. And, and one of the reasons I launched it is because I not only was excited about the field of work, but I really wanted to be able to work in my voice. Now I'd worked in nonprofit and federal government before that. Um, and it was never my voice, no matter how much of a leadership role I had. And this could authentically be me and my voice. And the, the, one of the most fun things that I had when I wrote my book was that the book is in my voice. Like it's, it's really the way I talk to people. There's <laughs> princess bride jokes in it. And there's like wonky things in parentheses with exclamation marks. Cause I have to make a side comment while I'm talking about something. The, the editors did not like that. That was a whole debate, but I got it in and it was, it's just, it, it it's just fun. And I, I feel like I am impacting people's lives and it's, it's just an amazing difference. That's so great. He, I laugh because when I wrote my book, it was the same thing. My editors were like, I don't think you should put that in there. That's probably not right. And it's like, no, that's how my mind thinks. Like that's yes. literally what's going through my head. Um, and, and what you said was, is really important. It's like, you kept your authenticity. Um, one of the things, you know, I, spending 30 years in tech, right? I'm always driving projects for someone else, right? right? And I could be creative from an architect's perspective, but only so much because I have guidelines. Um, doing my coaching business and, and my book and the podcast, I get to be authentic and I get to be myself. And it's really important when people do that because they're creative, um, you know, their creativity comes out and it, and it makes us unique. And so for, you know, for, for anyone who's out there, if you're following a script to be successful, make sure you make it your own, right? Like. The it took me a really long time to get there though. I mean, I, 
even just in my own business, I think it took me the first three years of being in business to feel comfortable and finding that route. Because I think as much as I've always been, I, you know, I was the chief of staff of a nonprofit of 40 people. The people on my staff knew my authentic self, right? But I don't think I had ever before that done something that public that was so authentically me. And now when I give talks, and I love a live audience, um, when I give talks, I just gave one, um, I was in Norfolk, Virginia for the International Downtown Association Economic Summit. I was the closing keynote, which is a super fun spot to be. I was bouncing at the front of the room, right? Like this is me at four o'clock in the afternoon getting you excited. I am literally bouncing in front of you. And, you know, that's a journey to get there. That's great. Well, that means that you've done kind of all the things to follow, you know, what honors you, right? And not someone else. And uh, it's a pretty exciting journey. Yeah, I feel incredibly lucky. We are running out of time. What advice would you give to our listeners um, for someone who wants to get into manufacturing or someone who wants to run their own business or you know, what would you tell our audience today? Well, I'll give you the same, uh, some of the same advice I got when I got started. Two of them, two pieces of advice I got when I was trying to figure out what I was going to do next before I started Recastity. One is find a business where people will pay you. You It's a business. You have to make money and you have to be comfortable or you have to make yourself be comfortable asking people for money or charging people for things. Um, two is bring your network with you. The people who you already know are gold. And uh, evidently, a lot of people leave that behind when they take their next step sometimes. Um, and the other thing that I tell, I think, every person who I meet, particularly every young person who was trying to figure out their way in the field, is start writing. People are going to look for your personal thoughts as part of you as a thought leader. And even writing short, informal blogs somewhere in the world where you can practice getting that authentic self down on paper and having a space for people to see what, how you think about things is going to be important someday. That's great advice. You know, people have to trust you to spend money with you. And the only way to do that is really expose yourself, which is hard to do as as you talked about, right? Absolutely. And, but it's, there's so much joy I get from connecting with people like this about the things we all believe in. That's fantastic. I love it. I love meeting people. I love meeting you. Loved having you on the show. Um, where can people find you and your services? So our website is recastcity.com. And if you're interested in the book, the book has its own website called recastyourcity.com. And if you go to that site, you can get the first chapter of the book for free. Fantastic. I will put the links in your bio. Thanks again for being on the show. Thank you so much for hosting me today. Take care. Thank you for listening to Women CEO in Reflection. To reach out to one of our guests, their contact is in the description of the show. Do you want a total mindset transformation? Apply to Mindset Warrior, The Art of Intentional Thinking, my personal coaching boot camp at IamAMindsetWarrior.com and schedule your call with me today. Thank you.